So for this episode, a few content warnings. Uh, we talk about transphobia, misogyny, and some of the harmful stigmas around mental illness. Greetings and uh, early Happy New Year's, listeners. You're listening to Horror Nerds at Church, a ridiculously queer podcast where we take a deep dive into a horror film and talk about how it connects to queerness, religion, and theology. My name is Pace Warfield May, and I am the sudden, abrupt ending to this movie with no closure at all. <laughs> and I'm Pastor Emily, and I am the conductor that is the only thing holding anything together. <laughs> Love it, love it. So listeners, uh, if you're listening to this on the day it comes out or the few days after, then it is right before New Year's Eve, which is why we chose this one, because it's set on New Year's. Mm-hmm. Um, so hope you all have a wonderful New Year celebration, whatever that looks like for you. And if you're the type of person to set like goals or whatever, um, maybe set a goal to watch more horror or something. I don't yes. know. Before. Or... or- set a goal to support more horror as yeah, in yeah. become a patreon now's a great time support queer owned content yes and trans owned content so anyway but yeah however you celebrate many uh blessings and fun and festivities to you so be so i because this is our first uh not first because this is the, our last episode of 2022, I thought it might be fun to just kind of look back at everything that happened over this past year in <laughs> the HNAC world um, and beyond the HNAC world, just the ongoing train wreck of late stage capitalism and ongoing never ending pandemic, uh, mm-hmm. a government that doesn't really want to do anything or care about its people, uh, life stuff like new jobs, moving, divorce, so much. So we're going to focus on the good things, the podcast. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> so basically, I just wanted to say, like, uh, we ended season two right before New Year's with uh, our episode at the River Cook Needham last year, which was um, Midnight Kiss. And then we took a few months off. But then Emily joined the podcast this year, which is awesome. At first, just for our Twilight season, but they loved it so much, I guess, or our masochist, or I don't know what's going on, but <laughs> or love decided to stay, or, or, or love me, yeah. Or all Some the combination above. of all of those things. <laughs> so we got a new co-host. This is awesome. And I feel like the podcast is stronger for it, and it's just, we are able to actually like plan the future and do fun things and stuff now that we have some stability there, and someone who's also equally creative and brings that five planning energy to (laughs) podcast um but yeah we covered twilight this year Mm -hmm. so we had our vampire season yes which was (laughs) an adventure Mm. there are many things that are horrific and that's part of what 
Horror Nerds at Church does, though, right? When we have guests on and we talk about church horror stories, it's not necessarily some, like, ghost possession exorcism thing. It can frequently be, like, the horrific nature of people or yeah, people making terrible movies and books, you know. Yeah, yeah. For real, for real. Um, and let's see if I can quick pull this up while we're talking. Um, but... And and that's something else I just want to quick say, because I don't think I've said this yet, is my mom doesn't listen to the podcast. I mean, I don't expect her to or most of my family to, which is fine. fine. But like she knows enough about the podcast that she occasionally will be like, you're not being too mean to the church on the podcast, are you? (laughs) You're not going to alienate people who might give you a job or something on the podcast, are you? And that kind of stuff. I'm like, I love that's what you think that i do i love that you think that people in those positions would even listen to our podcast (laughs) but also like we're not doing anything over the top like right just because we say the truth about what happens in churches yeah she is relieved to hear that my co-host is a pastor because she thinks that somehow you being a pastor is going to keep us from going too much i don't know i like that she thinks that um but that is i mean that is me fulfilling my role in the diaconia.faith collective as the token pastor yeah yeah so so this is what i was hoping to pull up though uh this was our set this episode recording right now is our 78th episode that we've done so far Mm. um so in the past, we started in March 2021. Oh, so far. Uh, okay. I was like, that's more than Nerds at Church did this year. <laughs> gotcha. So yeah, uh, March 2021. 2021 uh, and so 78 episodes since then. Um, we had... I wanna, How many episodes do we have in Vampire Season? A bunch. <laughs> A bunch. That's awful. There are 14 episodes in the Vampire Season. And we are... 14 episodes, 14 regular episodes? 14 regular episodes. And I'm only counting regular episodes, not minisodes or anything. Um, So 14 episodes in our vampire season. And this, and we also had one episode drop, which was a Friday 13th retrospective in like February. So that's 15 episodes. Plus this is our 19th episode this season. So that would be 34, 34 episodes this year. Nice. Plus YouTube's and movie commentaries, some of which are still to come, maybe. Yep, and minisodes and all sorts of other stuff. Like a minisode series we started and then just like, <laughs> life got in the way halfway through and we never finished it. <laughs> we will someday. But, yeah, we have one episode recorded for it. I just haven't released it yet. And I still have and behind the scenes stuff, which will not be on air but i still need to contact so yeah that that's it's kind of been a big year for hnac we really kind of we not now have um we doubled our patreon supporters in this year Mm. Uh, we have uh yeah so now how many patreon supporters do we have i want to say six six i want to say six. nice um the more the more patreon supporters we have the less influence i have on what happens with Patreon. True, true. <laughs> now I'm because... only a sixth of them instead of a third or whatever. 
so we might be getting some more horror stuff back on Patreon instead of just let's do episode every episode of Patreon on like Scooby Doo. And to be fair, Scooby Doo fits well with like horror general stuff, but it is one of the things, and you can cut this out if we end up not doing it, but. One of the things that might be coming to Patreon is some input. So you might be able to give us some suggestions for movies to watch or for BrewTube um, episodes or those sorts of things or help us pick some yeah. of them. So there's there's an ever-evolving additional Patreon bonus content stuff. Yep. I am debating. So for... And all of you listeners, and especially Patreon supporters, you can weigh in on this. So email church at gmail.com or just let us know in comments or whatever. Uh, but I, I, for a while, there has been a plan to introduce a second tier for Patreon supporters. Yeah, $10 a month. But I'm debating on um, do we launch that with season five, our ghost season, or with season six, our... Secret season that we have yet that we've talked about so much that y'all know what it's about by now, I'm sure, but or have not like officially a really good guess as to general concepts. Yeah. yeah. So I'm trying to debate between those. What's some of the stuff that we're thinking about for a season? Uh, for another tier of Patreon would be to have weigh in on what's on the main feed a little bit, like maybe pick one movie a month or something that Patreon supporters can have a say on. Um, pick maybe one commentary every now and again or shows you want to see on BooTube, stuff like that. Also, you'll get personalized pace recommendations for horror because I hear that I have, that's my superpower is giving people Mm -hmm. recommendations for horror. It really is. Is accessible to them, whether they like scary or not. Mm -hmm. Um, And other stuff like that. I think the key is the pace's personal recommendations. I think that is like, the bread and butter of like the possibilities of horror nerds at church. I can give my recommendations, but they will be terrible and probably not horror. Well, I mean, if you do, if you want like your recommendations on what episodes of Amparina to watch, I mean, Emily's your envy to check out for that. I, I do have like lots of TV shows that I watch yeah. and sci-fi stuff. It's just not horror specific really. So, you know, a lot of fun stuff coming though. So, We'll see. If y'all are clamoring to give us more money, then we can launch it with season five. So just let me know. I think we should. I'm going to vote for and advocate for season five launch of that. Okay. But that's also because there's not like a whole lot of extra work until people get in that. And then like, it's mostly your work. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. And I'm just going to tell y'all right now about season six. Like, it's no! really not good to say what it is. I'm just okay. going to say, like, for season six, it's really exciting and really big. And I think it's going to bring a lot of people to the podcast who might not have liked horror. So there's going to and it's a big, expansive project that will probably require a lot of stuff being dropped on Patreon to cover as much of it as we can, it's which true. means... If you're we supporting us on Patreon, you will have a lot uh, access to all that stuff. And some of it might be exclusive for $10 tier stuff. We'll have to figure that when we get there. But yeah, just saying. Yeah, there's a lot that we are going to have to cover in season six. And I'm super excited for it. 
and also yeah and also we still need to schedule out when we're doing season five and six we're just trying to survive this season it's true it's true <laughs> we're just like that's what we're doing for nerds at church too we haven't looked at the season after epiphany so after baptism of jesus no idea what's happening with anything yeah yeah which is um, like two weeks away for those of you <laughs> as of when we're recording about one week from when this drops fun fun it's almost right. like we're people who work in churches and are therefore <laughs> busy during Advent and Christmas and Epiphany times. Yep, yep, mm-hmm. almost like that, and almost like, and almost like, uh, I forgot what I was gonna say. That's okay. We are almost like people who work in churches, just like you said. Speaking <sighs> of Advent, Christmas, and Epiphany, mm, look we at that are. I know, right? We are still in our Advent Misphony journey with you all. Um, reminder that our Advent Misphony is specifically Advent Misphony, not just Advent. So it continues through Epiphany, January 6th. Um, yep. yep. So, so what are a couple movies we've watched and a couple movies we're looking forward to? Well, first to let all y'all know that this movie itself will count for your New Year's set on New Year's Eve. So you can watch it for that. Could also count for other things like controversial holiday or like uh, holiday holiday. horror because it all count. New Year's counts as a holiday and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, If you want to watch the remake of this movie, which I'll talk about a little bit. Ooh, it does. Because of illusion. Um, if you want to watch a remake of this movie, which I have not seen, so I can't give you weigh in on how good that is or bad that is in any way, but it's set in the North Pole. Let me try that again. It's not set in the North Pole. It came out this year, and it's a new release, which would Mm. count for December 29th. The remake, not this classic one. Yeah. This one would count for the 1980s, though. Yep. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. But um, I clearly need my coffee today. My brain is just is still waking up, even though I've I, been awake for like three hours. I finished my coffee, you know, right as we were beginning recording. So I'm like ready to go. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, so the only thing I watched, I just watched The Black Candle for Kwanzaa, which is mm-hmm. a fun documentary looking at kind of the history of Kwanzaa and the its evolution as like, uh, african-american specific holiday to expanding to the entire african di- diaspora and uh, black diaspora beyond that and just be, and just kind of the ways it's celebrated in this country and also around the world nice. uh for non-english language i am watching gundam wing and the swaps which is an anime set on christmas eve and i last saw that when i was in high school so i'm enjoying this kind of nostalgic watch through that again and those are the big ones what about you um i watch i finally got access to the regrets hanukkah special for the hanukkah one and watched menorah in the middle which is counts as many of them um i was thinking hanukkah but also it's like one of those cheesy made for tv christmas kind of things um but our household watches the long kiss goodnight and we are nicknamed the Island of Misfit Toys. So um, we just watched the Rudolph Claymation version, which was delightful. Um, yeah, yeah. 
I am looking forward to watching. I really want to watch The Black Candle now, um, but my Kwanzaa movie was going to be the, or my Kwanzaa one was going to be the Proud Family episode. I really love, Mm -hmm. I watched The Proud Family when I was a kid for a while. Um, It was like right as I was aging out of Disney, but um, they have a Seven Days of Kwanzaa episode that they did. So I'm excited for that. And um, The Sound of Music. There's a new mm. Nutcracker that's the hip-hop Nutcracker. Interesting. So I'm curious to get into that and see um, what that is. And Yeah, yeah. Uh, for Tragedy Grief, I'm going to try to watch Little Women, Greta Gerwig's Little Women, which I've heard so mm. much praise about. And I've wanted to see ever since it was in theaters back in 2019. So I'm hoping yeah. it's streaming somewhere. And then for not actually a holiday, I'm going to watch The Lion, The Witch, and the Wardrobe, which for some reason everyone thinks is a Christmas movie. Just because Santa Cause appears, Santa. I guess. It's because Santa like, shows it's up. It's not yeah. set. In, whatever. Anyway, um. <laughs> that's I'm I'm apparently having a Nutcracker filled Christmas Advent Miss this year because I am gonna see the Nutcracker in the four the Nutcracker in the Four Realms is what I had picked for grief, and Ooh. that's really good. But the Sound of Music apparently is also not actually a Christmas movie. Yep, and yet. For some reason, my favorite things is always on the radio around Christmas time. Just because she says bright paper packages tied up the string. Like that's the one line that makes it kind of Christmas. And suddenly, and like cultural capitalist Christmas is what are my favorite things? What are you going to get me? True, true. But yeah. Even though all her favorite things are things like, um, Raindrops on roses stuff that you and buy. <laughs> on kittens. Yeah, like you don't really buy that. So I mean, yeah, kittens are not presents; they are lifetime commitments. Yes. So, um, yeah, we'll probably do one more of these. So it's not too late to tag us because um, our next episode will come out before Epiphany, I believe. Mm-hmm. So yeah. um, we'll kind of so check in right and do a wrap up. Right yeah, before as one of them. The fifth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, definitely tag us on it. We, I, at least on my part of publicity have been a little lax because our household got like multiple COVID, like COVID positives and stuff. So our household has just been extra, extra chaos this year. Same, same. So yeah, but this was fun. Um, and we'll probably make this an annual thing. So, oh, the last thing I want to touch base on, you've been hearing us talk about it. For a few weeks now but it's our live show it is coming up really fast at the both the time that we're recording and the time that this episode comes out so um mm-hmm. in fact a we week to- from wednesday i'm going to be flying out to dc to uh for this and a week mm-hmm. from thursday is when we're actually recording it so um but anyway it's our live show uh at the q Christian Fellowship Conference, qcfconf.org, if you want to register. You do not have to be in the Washington, D.C. area to participate because it is a hybrid event. So you can watch our podcast and other podcasts, too, um, just by going to qcfconf.org and registering for it. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. We're going to watch the movie Saved, uh, Mm -hmm. Does the Dog Diet. There's a little bit of queer and... Yeah, a lot of religious trauma stuff in there, but it's set is a comedy, so it's not like it's a super deep dive into it. It's more of like yeah, exactly. It's a punching up comedy. Yeah, so we'll cover that, and I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, 
and it'll be fun. So hopefully, mm-hmm. hopefully I'll see some of y'all there, listeners. Indeed. That's all I have for announcements. Do you have anything? No. Oh, no. <laughs> um. Well, okay. As we queer folks know, um, grief is a big thing around the holidays, um, and it can be hard and complicated. Nerds at Church just had an episode drop literally this morning as we're recording um, that looks at grief, specifically connecting to the readings, one of the options for the readings for this coming Sunday. Um, But we talked with Reverend Colette Brody-Grund about grief and the grief lectionary, which is a thing that she created. Um, So if you need some, like, is my grief okay kind of stuff, go check out that episode because yes, your grief is fine. It's okay to not be okay, as the book says. Yeah. So just to, and the holidays are not quite over. So if you need a reminder Mm -hmm. of our holiday episode from last year with Susanna Porter, definitely check that out for reminders on how to survive. Yeah. Uh, But I'm proud of all y'all for hanging in there this holiday season. It's been rough for Emily and myself, and I'm sure it's been rough for a lot of you. It's been rough for a lot of the people I care about. So that's all real. Uh, Well, we'll get into this movie then, which is its own take on weird holiday trauma. (laughs) (laughs) So we are watching Terror Train. came out in 1980. It's one of the golden age slasher films. And it was directed by Roger. What does Golden Age slasher film mean? Ooh, okay. I'll I'll say that in the background behind the scenes. Okay. But uh, it was directed by Roger Spottiswood, who directed Turner and Hooch and Tomorrow Never Dies, a James Bond movie. So this is like really, it's this was the first film he directed, but also he never really directed horror again. So I don't know what that says about this movie Mm -hmm. or about him or about horror as a genre, but whatever. Um, So when was the first time you seen this film, Emily? For this episode. What Yay. a surprise. Take your shot of eggnog, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I saw this for the first time last year. One of my favorite podcasts beyond, of course, Horror Nerds at Church and Nerds at Church uh, is um, with Gorley and Rust. And they covered this last year. So I watched it for that and instantly fell in love with this movie. It is so weird, but it's also like so like golden age slasher so this might be a good time for me to talk about what golden age slasher is uh but like it it just i don't know there this movie is just very bonkers makes no sense and it's kind of fun in its own weird Mm. way uh but a golden age slasher so the slasher genre can be traced throughout the history of horror like it's not by any stretch of imagination a new genre Mm-hmm. But it really, in the mid-70s, started to solidify into having, like, certain tropes and thematic stuff and peaks and all that, uh, story peaks and all that stuff, um, with a few releases that came out all around the same time. Um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a big entry into the genre, directed Ooh. by Toby Hooper. came out in 76, I want to say. Black Christmas uh, is another one, came out. I want to say 77 and then Halloween 1978 by John Carpenter uh, kind of put all those pieces together and created this 
absolutely unexpected. It was an independent film that was picked up by Universal to be distributed, and it just became this huge popular thing. It was filmed on like a shoestring budget, but made so much money in return that all the studios were suddenly like, holy crap, this is something that we can film for cheap and get a lot of money off of. So everybody started to make their Halloween knockoff films in the slasher genre. So from 1978 to about 1984-ish is sometimes called the golden age of slasher films because they were coming out like nonstop throughout that entire time. Uh, And then as we get into the mid-80s, we start in the early to mid-80s slashers start losing the popularity so the friday 13th franchise starts to kill off jason stuff like that mm-hmm. and then by the mid to late 80s we start seeing really new inventive thing takes on the genre with like nightmare on elm street where now you have a slasher in your dreams as opposed to just a human in a mask sort of thing so mm-hmm. that's kind of like the evolution of slashers through the 80s but the early 80s golden age slasher means basically just a slasher that came out in the wake of Halloween, trying to cash grab off of that. Mm-hmm. And as you can tell, this was very intentional cash grab reference to Halloween because it stars Jamie Lee Curtis, the star of <laughs> Halloween. So, um, yeah, so that's Golden Age Slasher for you. Interesting. <laughs> I think this is okay. probably your first one you've seen. Yeah, I think so. Because you've so. never seen like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Black Christmas, nope. Halloween, nope. any of those big ones. So, Cool, cool. Well, a little bit behind the scenes, Sandy Howard uh, saw Halloween and was inspired to basically take Halloween, the film Halloween, put it on a train. So Mm -hmm. he asked Deborah Hill and John Carpenter, the director and producer of Halloween, and asked if he their idea made his idea made sense and if they would let him do that. And they both gave their approval. So then he took it to Fox. This was the only slasher that Fox released in the entire Golden Age uh, slasher period. Um, they were they, or the original script did not have an illusionist, but then Sandy Howard like loved magic, so he was like, "Why don't we just throw in an illusionist in there?" And they hired David Copperfield, who's only credited as the magician, by the way. Um, and then it also kind of made a great red herring twist. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, I think even Emily texted me during it saying, I think it's a magician. It's like, hmm. Yep. Um, yeah. That was, then... I think, before... I think that was before The Assistant came back on and I had, like, completely lost slash forgotten The Assistant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is, I think, what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis filmed this and the other Golden Age slasher. She was in three Golden Age slashers. Uh Halloween, Prom Night, and this one. And Prom Night and this one were filmed back-to-back, both in Toronto, uh, like one right after the other. And then there's a remake that came out this year. It's on Tubi. It's produced by Tubi. Uh, I have not seen it. I hear it kind of sticks to the major plot of the original, but like uh, changes a few things up. There's Um, definitely still the dragon lizard costume. Oh, okay, cool. That's all I know. So um, I would love to see that. I might watch that and report back on what I think of it. But uh, yeah, don't know much about it. doesn't look that good. But also this movie was a low budget Golden Age slasher. This one also wasn't that good. So I think it's fair to the legacy (laughs) to produce a not great low budget cheap um, 
remake. I, I mean, I have to admit that Tubi is not who I think of for like production companies. So right, you're right, you're right. Okay, man. I guess we can get into this movie. Do you have a one sentence summary for us, Emily? I do indeed. Uh, asshole's gonna asshole, and then they pay the consequences three years later on a train with magic. Yay! Dun dun dun. That's dun, not dun, a dun, dun dun dun, but there is a lot of dun 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 in it. So right, right. Um, so. Slasher as a genre, just real quick for our listeners who might not know, and for Emily who might not know, um, especially Golden Age slashers are kind of set up to be a little bit, there are kind of two paths they could take. One could be a whodunit, which is this one's kind of like a whodunit slasher, Mm -hmm. which takes a lot from the giallo genre of film, Italian Mm -hmm. murder mystery movies, basically. Um, and then there's also the kind where you know who the killer is from the beginning, like Halloween is one of those. Uh, this one is the latter. But base, but the slashers typically have a lot of jump scares. They have a lot of misdirection as built into it, like trying to make you think it was somebody is the killer, but then it's not. Or <laughs> somebody died, but they actually didn't die. You find out later they're not dead, that kind of stuff. So a lot of misdirection. There's almost always a final girl who is somehow virtuous over the other people who she is cast with, um, mm. the other cast of characters. That's consistent. Like this one with Jamie Lee Curtis mm-hmm. being part Jeez. of that early prank, but yet regretting it, feeling really bad and not knowing well, the full extent of the prank when she was part of it. I was going to and- say, like, she was hesitant to participate in the first place. She still did. But she didn't know how bad it was going to be. Yeah. So, like, she's clearly the virtuous one out of the three. And they go to great lengths to kind of out of the four. show that. Out of the four. Yeah, right. Um, and then the killer is usually masked and uses, and there's usually a fair amount of gore and blood. Uh, so, that's basically Slasher. Seems like this. Yep, well done. Yep. And that's one of the reasons why I love this movie so much is because, like, if you want, if you want to... Th- introduce somebody to golden age slasher this is a good this is a great example yeah, um it's got all the of pieces. course you have like halloween and all that stuff but those are like almost their own thing because they are so historically significant and how they influence the genre whereas this is just one of the random pulpy slashers that came out in the wake and i feel like this is an even better example of golden age slasher so mm. <sighs> so what a bizarre prank with that cadaver. Like, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> I was not actually surprised by that. Like, though, the horror stories of, like, med students. There's actually, when I was taking developmental psychology, the, like, most people progress developmentally um, to have, like, increasing, like, complexity and understanding of moral of morality and ethics and stuff and there was a study done that in the course of med school students actually backtrack oh they regressed interesting yeah well because part of it is just like with the emphasis right when you become a doctor the emphasis is on saving lives at all costs Mm-hmm. And so that takes out some of the space for complexity and nuance and of like what of like actually wondering what is the cost of life 
And is that a quality of life that is worth living for that person? Or is it a persistent vegetative state? Like, mm-hmm. right. Um, so when I saw that, I was like, I am not surprised. I did not anticipate the Kenny had accidentally killed somebody. And so it, that that was a whole different thing. <laughs> right, um, right. But yeah. And also it's a college fraternity and those are horrific. Like there 100%. have been measures put in place to curb that and to like decrease hazing and that sort of a thing. But they are horrific. And that is like the entirety of that whole prank, right? They pressure a scantily clad woman to be bait mm-hmm. and then they have a cadaver that they stole from the cadaver lab and freak out yeah and added to this about these particular med student well a it's 1980 so a lot of those measures to uh prevent frats from awful hazing have not yet been in place and mm-hmm. put, in, put in place and also um the medical field is becoming increasingly diverse. Of course, there's a lot of problems and stuff, but this film goes out of its way to say, these are a bunch of like spoiled brat, rich kids of rich assholes going to med school. And so that's a Mm -hmm. whole other dynamic there too. Like the type of rich kid asshole who's able to throw, to rent an entire train for his entire class level of rich. Yeah. But they do do a good, like, they do better than probably most at, at pointing towards a greater diversity of, at least in terms of gender, med student. True, true, yeah. Like, there's still the asshole rich kid, but also there's a lot more women who are med students. And I was actually, like, surprised by that. I was like, these are all, like, going to be doctors. This is really cool, because that's not been the... Um. We get introduced to the poor magician brought along, hired to ju- to do magic tricks to a bunch and illusions to a bunch of drunk fraternity partying New Year's Eve people. So <laughs> we get a some frat house, right? <laughs> we get we get some of his uh, anxieties about that, but I think it's wild that we get like a very young David Copperfield in this role playing at I don't think I've ever seen him like act in anything. So this might be one mm-hmm. of the only roles where he's playing someone other than himself. Well, and I think it's, I think it's brilliant to have like magicians are acting their entire shows. Right. And so it yeah. makes sense to have like a magician acting as a magician, but there's also like, then he's also acting and like flirting and like all of that stuff. So that's yeah. a, another like, level and layer uh so yeah we have the illusions david copperfield he's interesting but i feel like the guy he played i he's interesting as a person i don't want to go down the david copperfield road but the mm-hmm. role he plays seems very queer coded a little bit and mm-hmm. then also with the fact that the assistant spoilers it turns out to be the killer in drag or something uh it just seems like a very queer setup the two of them have um mm-hmm. also very convenient the train has no phone huh oh my gosh um, <laughs> i called that one i called it one it's chekhov's non-phone gun thing yeah <laughs> right like they're literally talking about it at the beginning maggie and the conductor are talking about how there's no phone on the train and that's probably a bad idea 
Um, and the conductor's like, yeah, no problem. It'll be fine. And We're speaking just of, and also the, like, speaking of diversity, just the fact that the, was her name Maggie? Just like yeah. a wheelchair person using um, a wheelchair as a mobility device without it being like commented on or necessary for the plot, yeah. just like being part of the story and how rare that is today. But is it weirdly but in early slasher movies, it seems to happen quite a bit where we just have people with disabilities who are just part of the background and fabric of the um, yeah. story. And the, it has been interesting to me, particularly through the Nightmare on Elm Street series, because um, the it's been particularly fascinating for me because like with the Nightmare on Elm Street series, there's like we had JR on for the one episode and specifically talked about like one of the main characters was hard of hearing and, and how, and, and, or deaf. Like, I think Mm -hmm. it's a little tricky, but that, that was actually like port, how that was portrayed was really cool. Um, And so there's both the Maggie who is disabled, is a wheelchair user, does her job, the conductor still like invites her to come on the train, which implies that perhaps the train is accessible. It doesn't seem like it's particularly accessible between car train cars, but mm-hmm. um, the implication is it's accessible because like he wouldn't invite someone with a wheelchair who uses a wheelchair on when they can't use the wheelchair. Um, so it's implied that the train is accessible she doesn't go because she's smarter than to go hang out with a bunch of frat student frat kids. Um, but that like that space of like just the n- normality of like people with disabilities exist, disabled people exist. It's part of life and it's part of the movie. And then the like other way. And I think there are some horror movies and I think there is like some at least like, outside impressions of horror movies that disabled people are not always characterized well or treated well or done well um and i think that i don't know so far that is more hearsay than my actual experience with horror right but it also comes into play with the like who gets killed first and we always kill the black person first and then right but um but yeah so i I, it has been interesting to me to like notice as we go through yeah yeah and one of these days we'll do the i did talk about but maybe you need a refresher i did talk about what the pre-code films are in horror but the basically pre-morality codes Mm. uh for cinema Mm. so back in the early days of silent films and talkies um you could get away with a lot before people started blaming movies for all sorts of shit. And then there was kind of a crackdown on studios to make sure they didn't do this, but there's a pre pre code horror film um, called the freaks, which is still talked about it like this 19 early 1930s film. And it's about a bunch of circus performers uh, with variety of, disabilities and all sorts of, and deformities and all sorts of things like that that are depicted in a way that 
to this day, many people who do disability studies and stuff like that say this film is actually really good in how it depicts um, agency and mm. the pathos of the characters and shows the characters as like these complete humans with uh, and, and kind of using using the audience's expectations of disability to kind of flip that on its head by showing them, uh, showing the, this group of performers in a different way. So I love that that's like always kind of been a part of horror, even though horror by and large, like all major Hollywood genres of film does not get it right more often than not. The fact mm-hmm. that from the beginning, there's always kind of been threads of, being aware of these things and using horror and horror as a space where you can tell these stories as opposed to some of the other genres where I don't, I, I don't know why we don't tell these stories more often than other genres, but I love that horror is a place where they are told. Yeah. Um, Groucho Marx mask. I like a, a reference that only people watching the movie at the time it was released and the few years after would probably get. And most people today may have heard of Groucho Marx, but don't know much about him, a comedian. I Uh, watched I Love Lucy, so I know about the Marx Brothers and Groucho. Oh, good. Oh, good. Oh, good. But (laughs) I didn't realize uh, it was, I didn't realize that's who it was, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, But interesting that they pick, of all the different types of masks we see in horror, we get like the Michael Myers mask in Halloween based off William Shatner. We get the hockey goalie mask. We get mm-hmm. all sorts of masks. Uh, we get bad, uh, like potato sack bags and stuff. This one, we get a party Groucho Ma- Marx mask. Just kind of yeah. fun. Well, and it's, it, yeah, we'll get into this more, but it, is comedy right comedy as a mask for horror which is is it like makes sense right like comedy is a way to punch up at horror well to punch up and horror has that space of being able to they don't always but there's like a similarity between comedy and horror that like the the court jester right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah Ooh, now i feel like we need to do a deep dive on the trickster figure that'll be one of these days we'll have to find a fun movie to do that anyway (laughs) i was impressed that like the first person killed was not the black guy granted the black guy was like the second person killed um Mm -hmm. but and it was the groucho marx character was killed there was like a particular um there was a particular like purpose for that in order to be able to then move around as that character um so it's a little bit different, but, and then it just like keeps going and changes disguises um, again and again and again. And th- there's something there and I don't know what, but I mean, it's what you were talking about for golden age of horror. Like one of the ones where it's like, you don't know who it is and it like there's misdirection and all of that stuff. Um, so I think it just like is part of that, but. And I love how it was, it slowly starts to hint that what is going on but like in ways that don't quite add up at first like we see a close-up of the killer's hand and the killer has nail polish and we're like wait mm-hmm. who is this what and then and stuff like that and then the big reveal that all along the killer was posing either was actually the assistant or posing as the assistant i don't know that wasn't fully clear um in mm-hmm. drag but then also walk around in the grad show mark 
Mark's mask um, and all sorts of stuff. So, <sighs> and then true to a lot of like golden age slashers, uh, it just ends very abruptly. The guy falls off the train. The movie's over. <laughs> no need to wrap up. No need to find out if they make it home safely. No need to find out like if Jamie Lee Curtis has any trauma after this. It's just like he's dead. Movie's done. Bye. I mean, we know <laughs> she home. has trauma after this. Right. Right. She's drama during right. it, but yes, yeah. yes, yeah. It was abrupt. I was like, "Oh, okay, done." <laughs> right? It's like we we don't have enough of a budget to film an ending, so we're just going to cut, cut it off right as right after the climax, and then it's yeah. done. No denouement. Resolution. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So I guess anything else about the movie itself before we get into our deep dive? I thought it was the the way it was filmed like there was a lot of dark mm. it was it was confusing like i could not get the layout of the train i did not know where exactly the like front was the back was which order the cars were in um and also jamie lee curtis like stop going back like the number of times she like specifically people were like hey come join the rest of us and she's like okay and then like meanders and gets like ice <laughs> is by herself again and it's just like right right have you not figured out this is a horror like how many people <laughs> have to die before you realize this is a horror right yeah. uh. i think that's part of horror is being exasperated with the yep cast, with the characters and like this whole concept takes the, as all films do, I mean, there's a willing suspension and disbelief, but just this idea that the train just can't like stop at any point and take everyone off the train and like, sir, like they finally do at the end, but like, and this train track they're going on is like so remote and like, where is this that they have this weird circular route that is so remote that there's not any towns or train stations or anything that they can stop yeah. it yeah and the like they search the train but they don't even search it well yeah it's a it's a mess it makes me think a lot of murder on the orient express if you ever seen that I like, the think... christie book or the movies based off it yeah we watched it last year during our movie calendar and holiday mystery yeah yeah and i was i was thinking about it for this one because there's also a new one that came out between last year and this year or last year maybe um that's another agatha christie one oh death on the nile yeah yeah and so i was thinking about that too with this and so then i was like already partly in the like yeah (laughs) I'm glad you also made that connection because I was like, I don't know if this is just because I have such limited scope. <laughs> no, anymore, I think it's. Yeah. Yeah. I, if it's not intentional, at the very least, there's some unintentional influencing stuff going on there, but mm-hmm. it feels intentional to me, especially because, like, the interior of the cars were decorated in a very Art Deco style for this mm-hmm. movie, which is very much the Orient Express setting. So, uh, but yeah, we'll get into our deep dive now. So, I first want to just talk a little bit about New Year's Eve in general and kind of the weirdness that (laughs) New Year's Eve for us is just the way it's celebrated in especially Western culture and uh, is 
the calendar ends on December 31st. So here is the new year and there's no like actual connection to the sun or to the moon (laughs) or Mm -hmm. to the seasons or to anything. It's just like, it almost feels arbitrary. Mm -hmm. uh, Whereas so many of the other new year festive festivities have other sort of connect to like a lunar cycle or connect to a solar cycle or Mm -hmm. um, things like that or perihelion, which um, I know some people say should be uh, when we celebrate New Year's, which is when the, the point that the Earth is closest to the sun in this orbit around the sun, which occurs around Epiphany usually, um, mm. so shortly after New Year's. So I always think that that would be a good New Year's day. But I don't know. I find it weird, especially like in the church. So many churches like have some sort of like acknowledgement of New Year as like this religious thing, even though it's just this random arbitrary secular date and i think that says to me more about christianity as lacking some of the connection to holiness of time that other traditions have Mm. if we really want to celebrate a christian new year would be christ the uh what what is the alternative not christ the king not christ the reign queen of christ. christ the reign of christ there we go reign of christ would be our new year because that's when it falls on our liturgical that's calendar the last but... sunday of the church calendar yeah and that's like as a pastor on advent one i always say happy new year yeah because yeah. i'm a nerd um <laughs> but i do think so in new year i think it's fascinating um a couple things. One is whether we're emphasizing the new year or the old year is really interesting. When I was in Ecuador, we went down on December, at the end of December after Christmas and for a January term class. And so we were there over New Year's and they celebrate Sylvester, like the old year, right? Mm. So that it is a looking back, there's like doll things that they like burn like there's there's all different ways of celebrating that um, are much more like looking back on the year kind of things and there's still a like looking into the new year and the things that bring will bring good luck and good fortune in the new year but there's more looking back and I think in at least like dominant U.S. culture it is decidedly looking forward there's like most of December is spent looking back in terms of like capitalism and stuff. Like that's how we had those statistics about our podcast is because Anchor was like, and Spotify are like, hey, here's your stats for the year, your year in review before the year is actually like totally over. Um, But it's like, that is part of like November to December and not necessarily a like New Year's kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's – so the the church calendar does have a lectionary assigned for New Year's. Um, Kay and I did it this year, and we actually did our deep dive into time um, mm-hmm. because I have been wanting to do a deep dive into time for like <laughs> the entire history of the podcast, um, having deep dives. and But I think there's – there are like a lot of cynical reasons why it actually probably exists. Um, But in Slovakia, like there were church, like we had a youth group 
outing for New Year's. And so we would do, we had like a big like lock-in type of, it was a Slovak version, but like that sort of a thing where we were there for a couple of days. Um, and it was just, it was fun and it was part of it. But I think there are ways that, there are definitely ways that like Slovak church incorporates itself into the life mm-hmm. of people more fully than like U.S. churches. And I think there's something to be said for the possibilities of the church being more involved in the things of people's lives. I don't, I don't know how New Year's falls in that, right? But like, yeah. I want people to be, I want the churches to be involved when kids graduate, when people are celebrating job milestones and retirements and like all of that stuff, not just like baptize Mary Barry. Yeah. So, but I mean, at the same time, we get the, but at the same time, there are also cultures that we kind of celebrate, like um, German, the German church, for instance. You can get you can't get married legally in the German church. You can only get married by the state, and then the church can do some sort of like recognition mm-hmm. of the marriage ceremony yeah. and stuff like that. And I, I feel wish like we did that. So, so it's like it's a complicated thing too because like the church as an institution has such a shitty track record. It's like how much more involved do we want them to be? And then I also think about especially around holidays in the U.S. like. Memorial Day, Fourth of July, where the church oh, loves to, like, to celebrate those, uh, those <laughs> so often, and it's like turns into this weird, like patriotic, fascist sort of Christendom celebration on those days. So mm-hmm. it's like I don't know, I don't know. I, I get the I'm not super religious myself, so like I, I'm not the best person to talk about this. And of course, I look to you more as a pastor, but at the same time, I just, I have my own kind of like hang up. Like, do I really want the church involved in holidays that it perhaps shouldn't have a say in? And I think there's like, there's a very huge difference for me between the patriotic nationalist holidays, which we should not be involved in unless it is as a critique of imperialism and as a lament for those who have died because of imperialism and militarism, right? Which is the origin of a lot of holidays. <laughs> um, Mother's Day, Memorial Day. Mm-hmm. Both of those are or- originate in lamenting people who have died in war. Um, so I think like there is like if we're going to be involved in that, that's what that's the involvement the church should have, not as a blessing of patriotism or nationalism. And I think and this is where I do think like it makes a difference if you're really involved in your church or you're really like want involvement with your church or if you're like less religious right if you are involved in your church then yeah your church should be involved in the various things of your life and not just the mary berry mary mm-hmm. or baptized mary berry i just said baptized mary berry and it was like a Great British Baking Show thing, and I was like, <laughs> "We're not baptizing Mary Berry. She Aww. has had plenty of time to make that decision, and I don't know where it is in her life, and I don't care because she's not my person." Like, uh, anyway, it's fantastic though. Um, I always love doing the Great British Baking Show for the feast um, mm-hmm. prompt for Advent Misfany, so it is on my mind apparently, um, but. I think, so I think in that respect, like the church should be more involved, but the church also has to be like intentionally involved, like just 
being involved with Valentine's Day by being like, yeah, marriage. No. Like or Mother's Day. Let's give out flowers to cis women. Yeah. And like even mothers, if they're not mothers. <laughs> right. And Mother's Day was a day to lament the sons who had gone to war and and been killed. Yeah. Like there I think the church has to be intentional in how we're involved in secular holidays. And I think the church should be involved. Um, I mean, I know like, for instance, a lot of black, uh, primarily black denominations will celebrate watch night, which is a very important holiday within black America, um, which to me is different than a way of just saying, here's this, arbitrary day let's look forward to all the weight we're going to well this this also has to do with a lot of faces right. hang-ups about new year's but the whole other level of yeah they're just the toxic relationship our culture has with new year's in general and then for the church to get involved in that just feels weird to me uh, yeah, the, we're getting to the time of never-ending weight loss commercials, which they never end like year-round, but it's like even more intentional where you can't escape yeah. them, and it's just not great for those of us with histories of eating disorders or it's not body good for image anybody. issues, like or, yeah, well, for anybody, yeah, but especially harmful eating for... disorders, and yeah. So, yeah, great, yeah. Um, um, but speaking of, what is Watch Night? Watch Night is the holiday that commemorates when slavery was officially abolished on New Year's Day of the, I don't remember what year, 1850, I don't know off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, and, and kind of watching, counting down to, and looking with anticipation to that coming to pass. Nice. Um, other... New Year's. So I, I do think that like the place of New Year's is it's almost like when the days start to grow longer, but it's like a week after the days start to grow longer because Christmas is yeah. basically when the so days start to have, grow longer. Yeah, have New Year's instead on the solstice or something, you know, like it just yeah. is weird to me. Um, but the... But there's... Go for it. Okay, sorry. I don't know. I feel like... <sighs> I feel like, you know, uh, to connect, if we connect New Year's more to something like Solstice or to Perihelion or something with the sun, so how the sun, how we, the earth is interacting with the sun, then to me it would have more meaning because there is that symbolism of the sun dying and then being reborn and coming back with winter solstice that we get in some holiday, uh, especially like pagan holiday celebrations and stuff like that, that I think are really cool. It's just when New Year's is our calendar ends, yay. Let's <laughs> start a start new year. It just for me doesn't sit. Yeah. That makes sense. Um uh, and the Jewish calendar is based on a lunar system and so Rosh Hashanah um varies compared to the calendar that we're talking about for New Year's. Um the Gregorian the Georgian calendar. Yeah, the Gregorian calendar. The um, but is usually around fall harvesty time. And the Lunar New Year, which I, Emily and I were doing some research, uh, talking about this, and I did a little bit of research before the podcast started, is celebrated by many cultures, including 
um, the festivities are unique to a Chinese New Year. So apparently lunar is more expansive to talk about all the different celebrations and cultures that mm-hmm. celebrate the lunar New Year, um, which usually occurs in June, um, late January to early February. Yeah. Uh, so if you're, if you are, I think there's been, what I was saying is that there's been a push towards celebrating Lunar New Year rather than calling it Chinese New Year. And I think that's been because most of the ways that I experience it are through like diversity, equity, inclusion groups Mm -hmm. or like that sort of a thing where we're like trying to be more expansive culturally. And so it makes sense that like we're celebrating the Lunar New Year and not just the Chinese New Year. Um, But yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of, so so those are another celebration but then also as emily pointed out we're recording this on boxing day so neither of us really knew what boxing day was so of course you can correct us those of you who celebrate but just from the quick research we did before the podcast (laughs) it looks like boxing day called boxing day because of give gifting boxes to the poor has now morphed into a shopping sort of Black Friday holiday in places where it's celebrated because it's a bank holiday, so people are off of work and just mm-hmm. go shopping. So it seems like kind of the opposite of what it was supposed to yeah. be about. So right. um, it but seems like <laughs> this is happening like now after every holiday is like go shopping day, which I get in the in terms of like things are discounted, like that is the best time to buy Christmas decorations, right? Um, but yeah, the the shift from this is a day specifically to give things to people living in situations of poverty into go buy more shit for yourself and your family <laughs> is like just so bizarre. Like my brain does Love not, it. cannot right, comprehend right. it. Yeah. So fun. Um, any thing else on like kind of the holidays i have a few quick things i want to get to beyond that okay uh we already talked about golden age slashers so i'm very curious what you thought of your first golden age slasher um it was not as bad as i thought it was gonna be (laughs) (laughs) um i didn't i didn't i mean i didn't have a whole lot of expectations because i think nightmare on elm street has been a good introduction to me of and the ones that have come around it to like get more of a sense of things and to understand tropes a little bit more. And so I have a better appreciation of horror than before I started all of this. Um, So I think it's, I think it's interesting. The space of like, which was, I think just the 1980s space of like misogyny that comes to play was like, that is not a part of the golden age slasher that I'm really a fan of. Um, right. Right. And, and the way that it plays out though, right. Is in particularly in seduction. Like there's, there's the, like the last girl standing thing and the like innocence and all of that stuff. But there's also this like seduction as horror, right. Mm-hmm. Elena, the protect the protagonist Jamie Lee Curtis's character um is in the beginning seducing someone into a prank and so it's literally like just using a woman for the like the the 
assholes using a woman for their purposes and not telling her all of the complexities of that and like where where there might be trauma but then also like when we see the hand with the painted nails right and i was like so it's did they just like paint their nails to be like um what was it mad that started with them the other woman Sandy Curry as Mitchie? Mitchie. Right? Yeah, Mitchie. I was like, it's not a name that I know of very much. Right. So when the killer had like painted nails and put um, their hand on the shoulder of somebody and they saw the hand and were like, oh, it's Mitchie. And I was like, did the killer like paint their nails just to imitate Mitchie? Um, and then as you pointed out, right, like that there's the complexity of drag. Well, it means confusing stuff of like the killer is actually the assistant. And so I was like, oh, so there's there's just this like use of seduction and like that as evil yeah. that is complicated, like also complicates it. But aside from that, um, yeah, I feel like I have a good sense of slasher. And I like trying to figure out. I like puzzles. So I like <laughs> trying to figure out who done it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so something else touching on the drag transphobia thing that is implied. It's not, I don't know if it was meant to be a one-to-one correspondence that the filmmakers had in mind. I don't think so. I don't think they thought that much into the plot. They're just like, how can we hide <laughs> this character in plain sight where well mm-hmm. we'll put the person in a wig and a dress. But the but it still nevertheless follows this cultural trope or assumption about trans people or drag queens mm-hmm. or anybody who met fucks with gender um as a something to do with mental illness and so this character Mm -hmm. having some sort of mental breakdown after this traumatic experience and now he's dressing as a woman it's like okay yeah we don't need more of that right well and there's that connection and just the connection to drag and trans people as hiding Mm -hmm. and evil and villainous and like all of that stuff is just that's really problematic and really harmful and that's what gets used as justification for bathroom bills for don't say gay bills for the like ridiculous number of anti-trans bills that are being introduced and passed in state legislatures and in countries like the uk nationally like yeah so don't that that is a trope that we do not need to keep going like yeah, we could yeah. do an intentionally trans horror film that actually kind of in the style of like get out right that actually shows like the actual horrific thing which is cis people there's, yeah there's this great horror short call oh maybe we'll maybe we'll start covering a short every now and again on patreon but mm-hmm. there's this one that's called terror sisters that um is basically this group of trans women who go through different uh who have like hypothetical different scenarios of horror against cis people and horror Mm -hmm. by cis people it's really fun so um we should cover that uh came out a few years ago we should definitely cover that for sure i love it it's called terror sisters so uh listeners you can check that out if you have access to shutter or amc plus um 
I don't have anything else. What else do you, uh, do you have anything else for our deep dive? Yeah. Um, so there's, there's the other thing that I have is kind of two parts. Um, one, I think, and this goes into the mystery part, the like whodunit, right? But the hiding the truth and keeping the secrets as is definitely like a, a thing in horror and is definitely bad news bears, right? Like <laughs> part of how the killer gets to kill so many people is because they're trying to like not scare people and and cause mass chaos. And there is a place for that, right? Like you don't want to cause mass hysteria, but you need to actually, like it was reminding me of the conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus in John, where it's like the things that are hidden need to come, need to be revealed. Like we, the things that you do in dark in the, in like nighttime where you can hide stuff, it needs to be brought out into the open. And if we can't bring things into the open, that's a particular sign that is dangerous. Um, But so I, I thought that was an interesting piece and that furthered the like dread as horror, right? Because then Mm. as people found out, everything was already worse. And then it was like for Jamie Lee Curtis for like, the entire second half of the movie basically she knew who the killer was didn't know who it was on the train and kept being in situations where she could get killed right like she did the closet thing just like um doc did before he got killed like all of those different pieces and Yeah. yeah so i was just like this this is what feeds into it like when we don't talk about things when we send kenny to a psyche to psychiatric inpatient care which is problematic in and of itself and then like never talk about it and never take responsibility for our actions on that and all of that stuff that like only jamie lee curtis's character visited him and only she found out like why it was such a traumatic thing for him and then like and even then, she didn't follow up. She didn't, like, try to repair things, make things right, all of that stuff. So, yeah, we have to talk about things to make them right. That's mm-hmm. kind of – and since this is our kind of dream season, um, how does this connect to the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise? I'm just thinking that was the big thing about the Freddy versus Jason is let's keep all the secret to protect people, but it actually makes it worse. So mm-hmm. that's kind of my theme tie into yeah. that movie no that's really real like that's how yeah but it is a tricky like the more you talk about it the more freddie has power but also as we know from a certain series the more you avoid talking about things the more power it has mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so for real well i guess we can rate this movie <laughs> and do you have a favorite kill um i will rate this a seven out of ten. It is quality golden slasher, golden age slasher. It is not by any stretch of the imagination like a good or quality film, but it is fun. And so because it's fun, that's why I rate it so high. Uh I I really don't have much of a favorite kill. Like the kills are kind of a little lackluster in this compared to a lot of the other movies we've been watching. Mm-hmm. So I guess the kill of the magician because that's kind of the red herring that we were going along then we discover oh he's actually dead and not killing people so i guess that'd be it for me Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I facet like there's part of me that wants to rate it above seven and part of me that wants to rate it below seven and <laughs> the complexities of like it was enjoyable. It was pretty good, but also like the transphobia is a big like so integral to the plot. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. So I think I'm going to go for a six, rate it a six. Um, and I think my favorite kill, as per usual, is the <laughs> most like justice-oriented one. And that yep, would be yep. Doc, who gets yes. what's coming to him. Um, for real. Yeah. And um, I only jumped once. There were a couple places where I think if we had been watching it late at night, I might have. But... <laughs> I'm not there yet. Eventually we'll start watching things late at night, but hopefully I'll know all the tropes in time to like not jump at them. In Oops. a future season, they, there has been a little bit of science, science research done about jump scares. <laughs> and so there are like studies about like, these are the movies that have the most jump scares in it, according to this research thing. So we might have to do one of those, see if, see what Emily gets to on yeah. that. I'm like, I jump scare. <laughs> I jump scare. For sure. I definitely do that. <laughs> but I also have noticed I I have noticed more the like background music. Mm-hmm. And so like I don't notice it for the most part in the movie, which is how it's supposed to be. But then when it's getting towards a jump scare or a possible like big jump scare moment or like big reveal thing, I will notice the music. And then that helps prepare my body for it. And so it could... <laughs> prepare my body to jump or it could prepare my body to like okay they're going to try to make you jump but not all of that is like subconscious but i think right now it is actually like preparing my body to not jump when i should good good see look at that you're adapting to horror (laughs) uh (laughs) did you have any jumps i don't think you did i don't think so uh i was just really excited that one yeah. <laughs> there was a peace jump was and it, I was like yes was that Never compass been. it was one of them i jumped yeah uh our next movie is sadly the last chapter of the elm street series which uh, i'm actually Nightmare. really excited for because it'll be my first horror series that i've watched oh see there you go yeah. um if we don't count twilight uh but... Maybe, yeah <laughs> That's a whole other. Nightmare on Elm Street 2010. It's the remake. Um, I don't want to say too much about it, but. (laughs) So it is supposedly the remake of the first one. Mm hmm. Okay. All right. And I don't want to give any indication of what I think about it because I have very strong opinions. Of course you do. Who's the director? Do we know the director? Uh, If not, that's fine. I can't remember if you usually say who directed it in this part. I usually don't at this part, but I'll just look up quick. I don't think it was a Nightmare on Elm Street 2010. It was directed by Samuel Bayer, who has... Oh, I did know this. He's only directed one movie. The director of this, Hmm. this movie has only directed one film. Everything else he's directed was music videos for bands and stuff like that interesting what's the film this movie Nightmare oh Street. this is the only film he's directed yep i thought you meant he had only directed film. only one other film okay so huh. we'll see how we'll see we'll see how that lands with emily next yeah next week 
for our epiphany episode. Right. Maybe I'll have an epiphany. <laughs> yep. Epiphany is the season of dreams. Well, is the day of dreams. There's like five yes. dreams that happen on that read for those readings. <laughs> cool. Well, that's it for our show. We hope you have a wonderful new year and that um, you are able to leave the things in the old year that need to be left in the old year, including, if necessary, terror trains and frat parties on wheels. Our theme music was by Matt May. Horror Nerds at Church releases every Thursday. Please comment, rate, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Support us on Patreon and get access to exclusive movie commentary episodes, BooTube episodes, and more bonus content by going to patreon.com slash horrornerdsatchurch. It's only $5 to sign up, cheaper than a ticket on a train, or to a magic show, and certainly to both of them combined. <laughs> Follow us on social media, Facebook and Instagram at Horror Nerds at Church, and Twitter at H-N-A-C-P-O-D for all the latest updates about upcoming films, news, and other announcements. Until next time, always make sure there's some sort of communication when you're on a train. Right? Don't prank people with cadavers. Yeah, don't prank people with cadavers. <laughs> Leave the cadavers in the cadaver lab. Right. Yay. Yeah.